awesome time of worship. So good to see everyone this morning. You're joining us new this morning. We're in a, a relatively new series called No Offense. No Offense. Many of you guys were with us last week. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week, but we're talking about this topic of offense and being offended. Our cornerstone scripture for this series is in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. It says, in this I pray that your love may still abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you might be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is our prayer in this series, that our love would abound more and more and that we would be people of sincerity and without offense, which is not easy to do. Anybody tried it? It's not easy. It's a daily struggle to love deeply and sincerely, but also to be and to live without offense. Last week, we talked about how Jesus defined offenses as a trap. In um, Luke 17, 1, and Jesus said to the disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through who they do come. And that word offenses you, that Jesus used, the actual literal translation of that word is trap. He's saying many traps or offenses will come, but woe to, to us who bite on that bait. Offenses or being offended, having bitterness within our heart is a trap of the enemy. Then last week, we talked about how all offenses fall into two categories. And the first category is when someone legitly sins against us. There is a legit wrongdoing towards us. Maybe someone lied to you. Go ahead and put that slide up on. Maybe someone lied to you. Maybe someone stole from you. Maybe someone cheated you. Maybe someone harmed, physically harmed you or someone you love. And you take offense. It hurts. It's painful. It's a wrongdoing, and you have offense or bitterness in your heart because of this legit sin or wrongdoing that has been done to you or someone you love, right? But then the other category of offense is, and what we talked about a lot last week, was this category of offense where it wasn't a necessary sin or wrongdoing that was done against you. But you have this perception that something should have been handled a different way, or you have this perception, go ahead and put that next slide up, you have this perception that someone had a wrong motive, and it's all in your head, and it's not, you don't even know if it's true, but you're angry at the possibility that it could be true. We've all been there, right? So we talked about that a lot last week. If you missed last week's series, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's foundational to what we're talking about in this series, and we really go in detail about all of this stuff that we're not going to talk about as much today. Last week, though, we talked a lot about concepts on the topic of offense. Today, we're going to talk more in human form. We're going to take a look at an Old Testament story that doesn't get a lot of press and, and learn from their human experience with this topic of offense. We're going to talk about the story of King David and his son, Absalom. King David and his son, Absalom. The story of King David and his, king, and his son Absalom happens at the end of his life. But King David, he's the little shepherd boy that was faithful in the, in the back, end, back 40 of the, 
of the field, and he's the one that, with the one smooth stone, took out Goliath, and there's so much that we could talk about King David, but we're not going to share his whole story this morning. We're going to zoom into this little moment in his life, significant moment in his life, with his son, Absalom. And we're talking about King David this morning because he's such a great example for what it looks like to not live with offense. Um, Because King David had lots of opportunities to be deeply offended by people who wronged him or wronged people that he loved. King David's not perfect in any sense. If you read about his life, you'll find that in modern day culture, he would have been canceled early on in his life. But, um, but he had a pure and an honest heart, a humble heart towards the Lord. And God even says this about King David in Acts 13.22. He's talking about how there was King Saul before King David. And then the scripture goes on to say, And when he, God, had removed him, King Saul, he raised up for them David as a king, to whom um, also he, God, gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So David wasn't perfect, but he was a man after God's own heart. And really, his life, he was a type and shadow of Jesus to come in the way that he was so forgiving and in his humble and integrous heart towards things. So David becomes king, and he prospers as king. He's an honorable king. He thrives as king. He has many, many children, and so his firstborn son's name is Amnon. His thirdborn son is Absalom. And there's something that happened as these sons got older that was unthinkable. There was also a daughter named Tamar. Absalom and Amnon both had their father as David. They had different moms, but Tamar one of David's daughters, was a full sister of Absalom and a half-sister of Amnon. You guys tracking? Amnon had attraction towards his half-sister, Tamar, was attracted to her. He thought of this unthinkable situation to take advantage of her, dishonor her by lying with her against her will. When Absalom found out about this, He was furious, livid, the unthinkable, raged about it as we are raging about it as we think about it right now, right? Let's see what the scripture says about this moment. 2 Samuel 13, 19 through 22 says this, Then Tamar put ashes over her head, tore her robe of many colors that was on her, and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate with her brother in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister, Tamar. Wow, what a heartbreaking situation. In these two categories of offense, this is the first category, right? There was a great evil, a great sin done against Tamar, the sister that Absalom loved. Heartbreaking. 
the rage that filled his heart. The pain and the offense. And can we just put ourselves in this situation? So this moment happens, and Tamar leaves and is now living for the rest of her life, lives with her brother Absalom. And for the rest of Absalom's life, he has this deep rage in his heart for this injustice that has happened to his sister. And so after this instance happens, there was a two-year period where um, Absalom is just stewing. And every day he comes home from work and his sister's there in tears. And his, his sister now, Tamar, cannot be married. She cannot be a mom. Her life is ruined because of this act of her brother. Have you ever been there before? The unthinkable happens in life. There's an evil or an injustice or a sin that has been done to you or maybe someone that you love deeply. I know in the room and I know online there's stories. I think all of us have some kind of connection to a story of a great evil like this. A great injustice, a great sin that has the opportunity to cause bitterness to be in our heart. Maybe there's people in this room or online or people that we know that have been abused or taken advantage of. Maybe there's those of us in this room or online that have been cheated on or betrayed, maybe lied to or stolen from, maybe abandoned or hated in some way, or maybe someone that you love dearly has been horribly wronged. We can all empathize with Absalom's anger in this moment. He's spitting mad. Can you imagine? He's mad, and rightfully so. This is wrong. It ought not be be like this. And scripture says that King David was angry about it too, rightfully so. This is dysfunction on a whole nother level on a family dynamic. That's a whole nother story. King David's angry about it as well. But it looks like he doesn't bring any kind of justice about it. And it looks like King David, it looks like Absalom doesn't talk to Amnon about it, but just kind of runs away. Anger at, at unjust things is right. Grieving at great losses that are deep and painful is appropriate. But then what? So this happened. And it's painful. And they grieved. And they were angry. And they were resentful. But then what? Does Absalom go and talk to Amnon about it? From the text, it doesn't look like he does at all. Does he go and talk to his dad about it? Have some kind of productive conversation about it? It doesn't look like it. Does he do something productive to make right this injustice? From scripture, we know that Absalom doesn't go to talk to Amnon. It doesn't look like he has a productive conversation with King David, but he rages. And two years after his sister living with him, being distraught and stewing about this anger for two years, um, Absalom decides to have a party for all of his brothers, invites all of his brothers out to his private party, and tells his servants, hey, once Amnon is drunk, kill him. And that's exactly what happened. So they're at this great big gathering, this family gathering. All the brothers are together for the first time since this instance, and Absalom kills his brother. Can you imagine? So intense. Talk about family dynamics. And this morning we're going to walk through this story of King David and Absalom, and along the way we're going to pause and just consider what we can learn about the topic of offense. And the first one is this, that offenses unchecked lead to death. Offenses unchecked in Absalom's 
life led to the literal death of his brother. And while we all have self-control in this room not to let our anger about an injustice lead to murder, there's still death that's the result of offenses in our heart that are not checked. Like we said last week, offense is like drinking poison but expecting the other person to die. If we think, we, oftentimes we think that if we hold on to our offense and our bitterness, somehow it protects us and it justifies us because that was wrong and I'm never going to forgive them. But that holding on to the offense is actually poison. It's actually an imprisonment that locks our heart up in bondage. Proverbs 18, 19 says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. The scripture is saying that when we are offended, we imprison ourselves. We are more fortified than a fortified city. The walls of our life, life go up high and they're locked with gates. We think that when we do that, we're protecting ourselves from being harmed again, but we're actually imprisoning ourselves from the life that God has for us. So long story short, this murder occurs. All the brothers run home and tell King David, and King David is heartbroken and mad. Can you imagine these two instances happening within two years of each other? This father is heartbroken and mad and sad and all the emotions, and Absalom flees. He takes his family 100 miles away and, um, and is away from the family in Jerusalem. And during that time, Scripture says that King David mourned for Amnon every day, but he also missed Absalom. So after three years of this murder, Absalom's been gone from the family for three years. King David says, bring him back. Tells his leader, hey, go get Absalom. Go bring my son back. We're going to reconcile this thing. So 2 Samuel 14.33. This is like a soap opera this morning, isn't it? You guys are all dialed in. What happens next? 2 Samuel 14.33. So Joab, the king's minister or a side, you know, assistant, went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, Joab called for Absalom, Absalom came to the king and Absalom bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And then the king kissed Absalom. What? This is radical forgiveness. This is radical mercy. Absalom is his son, but he's also the murderer of his other son. And King David over the last three years has grieved and been mad and been sad and sat with the reality of this great sin. But then he didn't sit there. He didn't say, okay, I'm just going to bar myself up in this offense and I'm just going to drink the poison and die. He got to the point of forgiveness. He said, bring Absalom back. This was a grave sin against our family, but I forgive him. Kissed his son. What can we learn from King David? That forgiveness is the only way to release an offense. Forgiveness is the only way to release an offense. David could have responded to Absalom's sin with great offense, and excommunicated him from the family. He could have even demanded that Absalom himself be killed for killing his brother. This is unthinkable forgiveness. And like I said, David is acting as a type and shadow of Jesus 
in his life and in this moment. We're going to talk more about the practicalities of forgiveness next week. So a lot more to say about this, but it is true that forgiveness is the only way to release an offense, right? But there's lots of practicalities of how do you walk that out. We're going to talk about that more next week. So back to the story. So David and Absalom. So you would hope after this moment, Absalom bows before the king and the king kisses Absalom and you're hoping, you're holding your breath that the lights dim and the curtains fall and happily ever after. But it's really just the beginning of Absalom's offense. Because right after this moment, Absalom leaves the king's presence, receiving this forgiveness from him, but, but Absalom still has bitterness in his heart. Absalom is still spitting mad that five years earlier this disgrace has happened to his sister. Absalom is also spitting mad that his dad, King David, never did anything about it. Because there should have been justice in Absalom's mind. King David's mercy towards Amnon was too great. We don't know all that's happening in um, Absalom's heart right now, but he's mad. He's angry. He's offended at a lot of things, including he's offended at his dad, King David. And so he leaves this moment, and he goes for the next four years, <clears throat> and every morning he wakes up, and he goes to the entrance of the city, and he starts to basically breed a rebellion. He starts talking to everyone in town about their troubles and empathizes with them and says, oh, that's so horrible. The king should really care about you, but he doesn't. But if I was king, I would really care about you. So he wins the hearts of the people to himself. This is what scripture says in 2 Samuel 15, 1 through 6. After this, Absalom brought, bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. And when people brought a case for the king for judgment, Absalom would ask them, where in Israel they're from? What tribe are you from? And they would tell him their tribe. And then Absalom would say, man, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have any time to hear it. I wish I were the judge, though. I would have time for you. Then everyone would bring their case to me for justice for judgment, I would give them judgment or justice. And when the people bowed before Absalom, he wouldn't let them, no, 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 but let me take your hand and kiss it. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. So he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. Wow, the plot thickens. Dun, dun, dun. So Absalom's offended. He still has offense in his heart about what happened to Tamar, and he has offense in his heart towards his dad. My dad should have done something about this. This was a grave evil against my sister. He should not have been so merciful to Amon. Then Absalom does what he thinks is right by killing the brother that sinned. And maybe Absalom was mad that King David didn't celebrate that and said, thank you for cleansing our family of this sin. Who knows what's going on? Or maybe when he bowed before the king and the king kissed him, maybe he thought, oh, he's deceiving me. He doesn't really love me. Who knows what's going on in his heart? But Absalom is offended at his dad and breeds this rebellion against him in the hearts of the people of Jerusalem. So his offense leads him to sow discord 
and direct the hearts of the people away from the king and to himself. The next thought this morning that we can learn about offense from this is that offense is the building block to divide God's people. Offense is the building block Satan uses to divide his people. I think we all agree what happened to Tamar was not right, right? But because of that offense, Absalom took it even further to make it even graver sin of discord among the brethren. This is where offense gets the ugliest. When offense leads to gossip or offense leads to discord or division among a people group and especially a, a, a people group of God. God despised what Absalom was doing in this moment. Take a look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. <clears throat> it says, These things the Lord hates, yet seven are an abomination to him. And then he goes to list the six things that the Lord hates. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, and a false witness who speaks lies. But then the seventh one is an abomination, and that is the one who sows discord among the brethren. This is an interesting scripture. You know, sin is sin, and God, you know, we see other places in the scripture that God doesn't waste sin. Sin is sin, and it separates us from God. But we see this scripture that God is trying to get our attention and saying, yes, sin is sin, but this, I want you to know that this is really wrong. Don't be proud. Don't lie. You know, don't murder. Don't devise evil, wicked plans and all this, right? And especially, God highlights this sowing discord among the brethren as an abomination. That, like, I just want to make sure you know that this is really not okay as well. And it's interesting, this list does not include adultery. It does not include sexual sins. It does not include some Ten Commandments that maybe we would expect to be on this list. This list has to do with a lot of things of the heart. And sowing in, in the sowing of division and discord among God's people, God uses the strongest language. What is sowing discord among the brethren? It's um, planting seeds of criticism among God's people. God says, I hate that. It's an abomination. It means making comments of offense to others. God hates that. It's an abomination to him. It means spreading rumors or gossip in church. God hates it. It's an abomination to him. This is a heavy message this morning. Sometimes we have ones that I smile more. I'm not smiling as much today. I'm going to try to smile more. You guys doing good? This is heavy stuff, though, and this is such the heart of the Father, right? <clears throat> and this thing of offense and sowing discord among God's people is such a deceptive way that Satan tries to divide God's people. It's such a deceptive way that he tries to bring discord and disorder in God's plan on earth. Because I think sometimes we think that, oh, God really turns his nose up to sexual sin. Like, oh, he, it, it really offends him when a, a young person is struggling with purity. Yes, God calls us to live a pure life. But what the scripture is saying is that God is, is even more offended by a pious church person who's spreading rumors or gossip about church members, or maybe even the leaders. It's an abomination, abomination to the Lord. 
The thing that's an abomination to God is that secret corner in church where people are talking about the way that things should be done. It's an abomination, but it's deceptive and it's sneaky, but it causes division and God hates that. He hates when there's division in his church. He hates when there's unforgiveness in his church. And here's the deal with David and Absalom. God has appointed David as king, not because David's perfect, but because God has chosen him. And if you read the life of David, you can see he has plenty of opportunities to be offended at other people and plenty of opportunities for people to be offended at him. But over and over again, you see David errs on the side of mercy and forgiveness. But here we have Absalom's offense is leading him to bring this division to God's people. It started as this yuck in his heart, but now it's becoming a cancer to the whole nation. Let this story of Absalom be a warning of the dangers of offense. And church family, I exhort you, I exhort myself to be on guard on the trap of offense. Be on guard of being that person that's being a chatterbox or spreading gossip or accusations or division among the church. Here's what we know about God. Why is this such a big deal to God? This is why. Psalm 133, 1 through 3. Behold how good and pleasant is it when the brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment on the, on the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down the skirts of his garment and the dew of Hermon and the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there in this place, when the brethren dwell together in unity, in that place, God commands his blessing life evermore. Why is sowing discord such a big deal to God? Because this is God's best. Unity is his best. He so desperately wants us as his people to be in unity because he wants to bless us. Because when we're in unity, God can command his blessing. You guys catch that? But how do we dwell together in unity when offenses are coming? Like, but then Jesus said, but it's impossible that offenses would not come. We talked about, hey, what do we do? How do we live without offense? We check our heart daily. God, what's going on in my heart, right? We believe the best in every situation. And when we have offense in our heart, we go first to the person that offended us, not to our 20 closest friends first, right? Because we want to be that place. We want to be that community. We want to be that family. We want to be that church family where unity dwells and God's blessing can be commanded. Well, Absalom did none of these things. He did not check his heart. His heart was full of rage. He did not believe the best of his father, David. And he was a chatterbox. He went around the whole city of Jerusalem for four years talking about all of the bad things his dad did. And so he's standing at the city gate and he's saying, oh, that's such a horrible thing that happened to you. Man, I wish the king had time for you, but he doesn't. I would if I was king, but let me kiss you and let me pray with you here in this moment. He does that for four years and, and rallies the whole city, almost the whole city against King David. And so King David goes fleeing out of the palace and Absalom tries to take over and King David's army is fighting against Absalom's army and King David says, just whatever you do, don't kill my son. I know he's deeply betrayed me. I know he's ran me out of the palace, but don't kill my son. What mercy. 
decades earlier, David was running from his life from another guy that was offended at him. And he had the same posture towards King Saul. That's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. But King David had this humble heart and he said, Lord, you fight my battles and maybe I'm in the wrong. I don't know, God, I'm just gonna trust you. But don't kill my son. But in the midst of battle, as Absalom was riding on a horse, I think it was, somehow he got caught up in a tree and he hung and he died. Death is always the result of offense. And King David wept bitterly over the death of his son to the point where his soldiers are like, we just won. Like, would you be happier if we died and we lost? And he's like, but my son. So God reinstituted him as the king of Jerusalem and all was as it should be. But the same plot of David and Absalom with different names in different places happens all the time throughout history, right? It happens all the time throughout church communities as well. I want to close talking about Matthew 24. Last week we talked about the first scripture in Matthew 24, and I said that today we'd expand on it a little bit. I want to close with this thought. Matthew 24, where Jesus is giving this great exposition about what the end days are going to be like, what to look for in the last days. And Jesus says, hey, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. It goes on to say, and then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So God is issuing a warning through this scripture and saying, hey, in the last days, yeah, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be a lot of crazy stuff happening. But one of the crazy things that's going to be happening is that every, like, it's going to seem like everyone's offended. And this offense is going to lead to betrayal, and this betrayal is going to lead to hatred, and this hatred is going to lead to lawlessness, and the people's love will grow cold. But hang on, don't get offended, don't bite the bait, and you will be saved. The interesting thing about this scripture that we just read is God is issuing a warning not to let offense cause our love to grow cold. Easier said than done when there's been a, a, a misjustice done, right? But I deserve to be mad because that was wrong. But yeah, if you stay mad, you're going to poison your life and your heart. God's saying offense makes our love grow cold. That's why that opening scripture we talked about, it, it says that we would live with sincerity and without offense, but it leads into that by saying that our love would abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment, Right? And so the scripture that we just read in Matthew is actually talking about the church, guys. It's not talking about the world. It's saying in the last days, many, and last week we talked about how really a better translation of that word many will be offended is actually most. Most of the church is going to be offended. There's going to be this great movement of offense. And then this offense is going to turn into betrayal. It's going to turn into hate. And then there's going to be this lawlessness. And then he goes on to use that word many again. And then many or most people's love will grow cold. And then he closes that by saying, but he who endures till the end will be saved. That's an interesting statement at the end of this exposition about offense. 
Church, I just, we have felt so burdened to share this series with you guys for many, many months. In the last days, Jesus said many will be offended. It's a, it's a sneaky, tricky, deceptive ploy of the enemy to bring division, to separate us not just from the church, but from our faith, from our relationships within church community. God's saying, be on guard because this wedge of offense, it looks appetizing. It looks like I deserve to be offended though because this was wrong. And Satan switches that bait and says, ha, gotcha, trapped. Because then you start deconstructing your faith and then you stop calling back your church friends. And then before you know it, your kids aren't in youth group anymore and your kids aren't in kids' ministry anymore. And you bit that tra trap and it destroyed your life. Been in church leadership for 13 years and I've seen this play out over and over and over again. Church, I wanna exhort us as a church family, let's, let's be alert to the enemy's playbook. It's the oldest play in the book. We talked about it last week. It was the first trick he played on Eve. Shouldn't have God let you eat from that tree? Got Eve offended at God of what he should be doing. And it led to death, you know, spiritual death to the whole world, right? Let's be on our alert. Because the scripture, I think if you could infer what it's saying, it goes from offense to betrayal to hate, from hate to lawlessness to love draw, drawing cold, to I hope that you stay saved, <laughs> right? So I think we can infer from this scripture that God is saying, hey church, warning, in the last days, the trap is offense. And if Satan can get you offended, then he could maybe even get you to walk away from your faith. Scripture says, but he who endures through all of these offenses, basically, shall be saved. You guys tracking? But those who endure through the opportunities of offense shall be saved. Through listening to a minister speak on offense recently, and he shared this vision that some man or woman of God have had, and I don't even know who it was that had this vision, but they had this vision that in the last days, <clears throat> Demons would be on top of the shoulders of the offended church. I can see it. It's tricky, it's manipulative, it's smoke and mirrors. Let's not be offended, church, amen? Because the enemy would love nothing more for us to start deconstructing our faith and walk away from Jesus because someone in the church was not perfect. The enemy would love nothing more for us to be offended by something that the pastor did and disconnect you and your family from the church. Oftentimes the kids are the one that suffer the most. The parents get offended, but then the kids don't get raised in church. They get pulled away from their church friends. The enemy would love nothing more than your kids and your youth to stop coming to church because someone in the church hurt you. But we know better. We've been taught better, right? As for us in our house, we have eyes to perceive the trap of offense before we even step in it. We can smell it a mile away. We can perceive what's going on in our heart and perceive the trap before it even comes. We are exercising ourselves, like we talked about last week. We're exercising our ourselves that we would not have offense towards God and man. Our love is not growing cold here, but it's abounding more and more. God, thank you that our love is abounding more and more with all knowledge and all discernment that we would be sincere and without offense. And we here at Alive are a community of believers 
that dwell together in unity and in strength. And in this place, God commands his blessing. Amen. Let's, let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And God, we thank you for the warning of offense. It's such a sneaky, slimy trap, and we don't want anything to do with it, Lord. And so, Lord, if we have found ourselves and our emotions and our heart getting wound up in the gossip train or wound up in the offense train, Lord, we repent from it this morning. Lord, we don't want it near our life because we know that it leads to death. It's poison. It's entrapment. We're, we're not justified by the offense. We're trapped by it. And Lord, I thank you that here at Alive, Lord, throughout your church across the world, Lord, that you give believers discernment to see the trap before it's even upon them. Lord, that you would cause our love to abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. Lord, that our love would not grow cold, but Lord, that we would exercise our faith and our discernment, that we would not live in offense, that we would have a conscience that does not live in offense towards God or people. But Lord, that your house, your people here at Alive, throughout Livingston County and the world, would be unified. The traps of the enemy are so obvious when he overplays his cards and that we're unified in heart, in vision, and in that place you command your blessing. And in that place, the end time harvest comes because we really are a house of love, agape love. And that last Matthew 24 scripture, that word love that's used was the agape kind of love. Three different words for love used in, in, in Greek language and agape is the unconditional part. Jesus was saying, and in the last days, if they're not careful, this agape, unconditional love grows cold. Let it not be said, Lord. We love you so much. Father, we receive your love. God, thank you for, for you being so forgiving. God, thank you for you kissing us on the forehead when we have so wronged, as the imagery of David showed to his son Absalom. We never like to close a service without giving the opportunity if you're here this morning and you don't feel close to Jesus, maybe you've never known him or maybe you have and you've walked away, but, but today you want to receive his forgiveness and start afresh as you bow before him and he kisses your forehead and says, I forgive, I forgive you, I, I remember it no more. You are my son. You are my daughter. That we leave that place and live for him. If you're here this morning, we always close service with a prayer. Uh, a prayer of salvation that simply declares, Jesus, I believe that you are God, and I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And today, I not only believe that, but I declare that now I want to make you leader and Lord of my life. Help me walk this thing out. You are my everything, and nothing else matters. If you want to pray that prayer with us today as a church family, we'd love for you to pray that with us. With all eyes closed and head bowed, if you'd be so bold to raise your hand and say, that's me, I want to pray that prayer for the first time. Would you raise your hand? boldly before the Lord and say, God, I'm all in. Amen. Church family, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your unconditional love, your mercy. Thank you for kissing me when I'm yet in my mess. And Lord, today I declare that I believe that you died on that cross for my sins. And I want to invite you to be the Lord of my life. Help me walk this thing out. I love you, Lord. Pray this all in Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, people matter and Jesus is alive.